Amen. Look, there's more of there's more of them than they are of us, y'all. <laughs> Either they do a better job of inviting or something's up. I'm just saying. Youth may be I think I think what it is is when you mention the word party. They all just decide to show up, right? We partying in here too. Come on. <laughs> We're gonna we partying in here. Sister Joan Joan's got us partying in here. <laughs> Amen. V, it is such a pleasure to have your sister with us. Man, you that that's got to be your that got to be sister. You look too young. Come on. There ain't no way. Whatever preservatives you're taking, I want to find out. You, me and you, after service, all right, we got to talk. <laughs> so blessed, so blessed. It is a wonderful pleasure to have all the speakers that we have been able to be encouraged by, and I'm looking forward to tonight. Um, your reputation, reputation precedes you. Yeah, I mean, I... I I mean, I just hear a lot of great things about uh, you, and, and, and I'm just excited for you to be here tonight and to share with us. I mean, you're a saint because you've put up with, you know, Terry this long. That's part true. <laughs> anyway, come on, without further ado, come on. It turned down the heat just a little. Over. It's just nerves. <laughs> no, I just don't think so. <laughs> it's really hot in here. Well, how's everybody tonight? Well, I wanted to hear more than that. How's everybody tonight? Good. <laughs> Great. Hey, we rejoice. We are exceedingly glad Amen. to be here. <laughs> um, I don't know where he got all his information, but... Dr. Moshe. Well, <clears throat> we were supposed to bring a few things just to... Uh, give you a little insight to how we celebrate Christmas at our house and what some of our traditions are. So I thought I would bring my favorite Christmas gift ever. Its name is Wild Thing. This was a gift from Terry several years ago. And when I opened this gift, I don't think I've ever laughed that much. So it's got little arms that will wrap around me and hold me. So, meet Wild Thing. I've got a gorilla that sits right in his arms, and he sings, you make my heart sing, you know. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is our tradition on Christmas night. That's when our family gathers together. And I started reading this book or playing the CD for this book. Actually, it started with a tape that long ago. We were doing this book, and it's called This is the Star. And so the last year or two, I started this when our grandchildren were very, very young, like two, three years old. And the oldest one is 29 now. So we've been doing this for a while. 
And all the grandchildren are grown up. So the last couple of years, none of the great-grandchildren were at the house. And I said, why don't we just get out the Bible and read the story from the Bible this year? And they're like, no, Mama, you can't do that. That's our tradition. We have to have our book. Well, instead of calling the donkey a donkey, it calls the donkey an ass. And so when I would get to the part that says, this is the ass that carried the load. They just break out laughing. It's just <laughs> so we have a good time when we get together, um, especially if my son's home. He is um, like a stand-up comedian. So we all have a good time when we're together. But this is where we get our traditional Christmas story, and we love that. Do you know what this is? This is the Christmas nail. And our tradition is that only the people in the house know where this nail hangs. It's the first ornament to go on our tree every year. I had to take it down to bring it tonight. But it reminds us that that tree is about more than just putting lights or ornaments or any of those things it reminds us that Jesus came and died on a tree that we might live so this is our Christmas ornament it's quite a quite a big nail <clears throat> and tonight at the end of everything we are going to have a cheese ball tasting for anybody that wants to taste our traditional cheese ball that's that's what I uh, did what, day before yesterday, maybe? Um, or maybe it's yesterday. Anyway, our cheese balls, uh, I make them every year. We give them to friends. We give them to family. Um, we just love our cheese balls. So <laughs> I'm going to let Terry give out this recipe. Make sure every family gets one. So... We are talking about Advent, and we've had such good speakers. I'm telling you, some of you guys are a really hard act to follow. Um, I enjoyed last week so much when they were talking about the shepherd's candle, and um, I feel like I have learned more doing this study than I have learned in a long time, and I have this theory that when you get too old to learn, you're ready to die, so... <laughs> So tonight, um, I want us to think about Advent and what that word truly means. The word Advent means coming, and it was uh, derived from the Latin word Adventus. Now, we've probably heard that before from some of these other speakers. Advent is the name given to the season of the 24 days leading up to Christmas, the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And as the Jewish people anticipated and longed for the coming of their Messiah, their promised deliverer, so we, his church, look for our Savior's return. We long for and greatly anticipate his second coming, knowing that when he comes, we will be with him forever. And as his chosen people cry out, cried out for his coming, that they might be delivered from their oppressors. So we, his people, cry out, 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've prayed that way lately, but especially over the last two or three years, I find myself praying that prayer pretty frequently. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of folks over there. A lot of my people are in heaven now. Uh, as we sang that song tonight, uh, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. I remembered the first time I heard it was from Grandpa John McCarter. That was my dad's father. And he would sing that song. He loved that song. And I was just a little child, so that song has been around a very long time. Um, I've always liked it, and I like it even the better the way we do it now. I really like it. Um, but I don't know about you, but I long to be with the Lord. Um, and it's not that I have a bad life. I have a good life. I have a funny husband, a good husband. I love him. Um, good man. I have good kids. I have wonderful, wonderful grandchildren. And awesome great-grandchildren. But they can't take the place of the Lord in my life. So he is the one that I long for. I long to sit at his feet. And I have found in him through the years everything that I have need of. He's my peace. He's my joy. He's my salvation, my strength, my song. When I'm in the dry places of life, he is my flowing waters and rivers. When I thirst, he gives me a cool, refreshing drink from the wells of salvation. So I'm honored to know him and to love him. Uh, several nights ago, I guess it's been actually a couple of months ago, I woke in the night up in the early morning, the Lord was saying, I want you to go to the Psalms 42.1, and I want you to read about the deer that pants for the water brooks. And that scripture says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. And the Lord asked me a question, and it was for me and one other person that I love dearly. But he said, how long has it been since you panted for the living God? And I had to say, it's been a while, Lord. Sometimes I feel like we neglect him. But I had to say, it's been a while, Lord. I had lost my dad three years before and my mom this last January, and I'd been in kind of a a, a way of mourning for them. But the Lord has restored so much joy. I'm so thankful for that. But at that time, I was still in a place that I hadn't begun to pant for the living God again. He's the sweetest love of our life. And we must go after him. I remember a time when I was praying for my children. I said, God, what can I tell my children that they can carry with them all the days of their life? And he said to me, you tell them to pursue me until I overtake them. What more could I say to them? You tell them to pursue me until I overtake them. 
And I'm so thankful that both of my children love the Lord with all their hearts, and so do their mates. That's a good thing. But as we wait, we have got to be about our Father's business. I think the last time I talked, I mentioned that. We have got to be about our Father's business. The days that we're living in are often filled with difficulty. In the Scripture, they're called perilous times. But these are also the greatest of times we will ever know. We have been commissioned to go in Jesus' name and work the end-time fields. The fields are ripe with the souls of men and women and children. While we are watching for his return, we must be working. In Acts 1.11, it's the story of the ascension. And there we see two angels, clothed in white, stood close by. And they asked the question, You men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus will come again. That gives us great hope. You see, he's going to come in like manner as he went. But they were longing for just one more little glimpse of him. And I can't blame them. I would have been doing that too. (laughs) I would have been looking up, gazing for one more little glimpse. But he had just commissioned them. He said, I want you to go into the whole world and carry the gospel. So the angel was reminding them that they were on a mission. And guess what? So are we. I want us to pray before we begin tonight. Father, we come to you so thankful that we can come into your presence, that we can worship you, that we can adore you, that we can sit at your feet during this season. And in your presence, we find everything that we have need of. We find peace and joy and love that is so unspeakable and full of your glory. And tonight I ask that you touch our hearts to hear your word and touch my mouth to give forth what you have given. Let the sweet Holy Spirit be the anointer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, tonight we'll be lighting the last of the purple candles. See if I can do this. All right, we're lighting the first, uh, the last of the purple candles, and it's known as the angel candle. It's also known as the love or the peace candle. This candle picks up where the shepherd's candle left off, with the angels joyfully declaring the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. So, Our thing tonight is all about angels, and so I wanted to go into that a little bit. Um, I loved what Carrie said about these being priestly shepherds that the angels appeared to. The more I study, the more I see that that has to be right. Uh, I love the way her mind thinks. I just love that girl. Um, Anyway, in my Bible, I have something called Kingdom Dynamics, 
And so I was looking up angels in kingdom dynamics, and this was what it gave me. Angels are created beings. They were created before the creation of the world and man. Angels have a free will. They have supernatural discernment and wisdom. They have supernatural strength. They have the capacity to manifest in physical forms as God wills. They have the ability to transcend physical confinements of our material world, such as time, space, and the visible elements. And as with all created beings, angels have limitations. Their knowledge and their power is confined to what authority has been granted to them by God. They were created with a different purpose than the human race. The heavenly angels do not reproduce. They are never to receive worship, which is reserved for God alone. According to Hebrews 1.14, angels are ministering spirits that are sent forth to minister to those of us who are heirs of salvation. They are heavenly assistants who were and are continually active, past, present, and future, in carrying out the will of God. Angels are dispatched by God himself, and they do his bidding. Angels watched as Jesus spoke the worlds into existence, and I think they stood in awe as he created man and breathed into him, and he became a living soul. There are many kinds of angels. They have a hierarchy ranging from the highest of the archangels to the lowest ranks. There are seraphim that surround the throne of God. They, they surround the throne and they give high praises continually to the Lord. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We have cherubim. They're six-winged. They are the attendants of God. In some scriptures, we find that God rides on their wings. They literally carry the throne of God from place to place. And according to the book of Enoch, which is not a canonized book, but I think it's okay to look back into some of those books for some of our information. According to Enoch, there are angels over the storehouses of God. The storehouses of God are the storehouses that hold snow and rain and hail, different kinds of things like that. There is an angel of the abyss. There is an angel of death. We see that in the story of the Exodus. There are warring angels. There are messenger angels. There are guardian angels. There are angels that are over nations, churches, and ministries. We cannot begin to know how many angels that there are, and only a few are mentioned by name. Michael the archangel, and his name means who is like God. He stands guard over the nation of Israel. We have Gabriel. His name means mighty man of God. I think he may also be an archangel. He was definitely the messenger angel who stood in the presence of God. We've heard the name Lucifer, the son of the morning, 
the fallen angel, who most likely was an archangel as well. He covered the throne of God with worship. He had pipes and he had strings that were built into his very being. That's why they presume he was probably a worship angel. He was also one of the most beautiful angels. We, uh, it says in Scripture that with all of the different jewels that were on his body, he was beautiful, probably beyond anything we could imagine. There is Uriel, meaning fire of God, and he is mentioned in some of the uncanonized books as well. There is Raphael, meaning God has healed. That made a lot of sense to me. God, our healer, is Jehovah Rapha. So Raphael means God has healed. And although angels are always working, we see greater angelic activity when God is preparing to do something monumental in the earth. It is rare that people see angels even though they are all around us all the time. We're not aware that they're there, but they are. But we can see the results of their presence. In scriptures, angels sometimes appear in bodily forms as they appeared to Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I have never seen an angel in its true form, but I do believe an angel led me out of Nashville one night. Um, a friend and I were lost. We had been to a teacher's conference in the outskirts of Nashville, and we were lost, and we could not find our way back to the interstate. We had stopped three times, and she'd go in, and she'd get directions, and she'd come back out, and we'd start again. I said, this time I'm going in. So... I said, I have got to find my way back to the interstate. It was getting late. Everybody had left us. And um, this man was standing there, and he said, I'm going right to the interstate. Would you like for me to lead you? And I said, oh, would you please? I'm telling you, the minute we got on the interstate, we never saw that car again. It was gone. And I believe that was an angel of God. I think God was watching out for us, and he was making a way for us. <clears throat> so, Hebrews 13, 2 tells us, some have entertained angels unaware. So, be hospitable to everyone. Um, I wonder how many times that's happened to us, and us not even know it. But if we've entertained angels unaware, we hope that we were very hospitable, don't we? There are times when angels appear in their true or their natural form. They are awesome and they are fierce beings. They cause men to fall down as if they are dead. We see this in Revelation 1.17 and again in Daniel 10 through uh, 8 through 12. When the angel came into the presence of these men. They fell down as though they were dead. And the angel would have to lift them up and give them strength. They come heralding the message of God as Gabriel did for telling the birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary in Luke 1, 26-38. And according to Psalms 34-7, they encamp around about those who fear God. So, I don't know about you, but I fear him. 
And I don't mean just a reverential respect. I fear him. <laughs> um, when I did something bad when I was a kid, I feared my dad. <laughs> I'm telling you. Because he would fire you up. So would my mom. So not just that reverential fear, but a true fear. I think with the church and God's people and the world definitely are lacking in that type of fear for God. So we see that they come as mighty warriors to fight on behalf of God's people as seen in 2 Kings 19.35. The angel of the Lord went out and in one night he put to death 185,000 Assyrians. That's one angel. When the God's people woke the next morning, their enemy lay dead at their feet. They're very powerful. So we see that angels can come in various ways and various forms, but it is always to carry out the orders that have been given to them by God. So tonight I want us to look at angels involved in the birth of Christ and the lively ministry of Jesus. I want us to look at our first visitation. Kind of have it move things around here a little. So, in Luke 1, starting at verse 11 through 19, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incest. Now, this is Zacharias that we're talking about the husband of Elizabeth. So, <clears throat> we know that Elizabeth was the mother of, I call him J.B., John the Baptist. He was a cousin to Mary. She was a cousin to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth was barren. Her husband, Zacharias, was a priest of the di division of Abijah. And the lot had fallen to him to burn incense on the altar of the Lord in the temple. And as he was performing his duty... This angel of the Lord appeared to him. So let's go back and let's read that. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, and we see this over and over and over, when angels appear to people, one of the first things they say is, fear not, or don't be afraid. And he said that fear had fallen upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He would be like a Nazarite. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in spirit, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? 
for I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said to him, I am Gabriel. Now, I think what was happening here, Zacharias was sort of snubbing his nose at the angel. Um, He was unbelieving. And you would think him being a priest of God, he would believe. But he had unbelief. So the angel said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So we see that he really messed up big time. He had unbelief in his heart. And a lot of Bible scholars think he was not only mute, but he was also deaf. Because the day that John was born, they handed him a tablet, but they had to sign to him to write the baby's name on the tablet. So a lot of people believe that he was not only uh, mute, but he was also deaf. So we see here that the groundwork is being laid for the coming of God's Son. Gabriel, the mighty man of God, had just begun his mission. We're going to look at our second visitation, which is Luke 1, 26 through 38. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I don't know a man? I've never known a man. How can this thing be happening to me? And the angel answered her and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God... Nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, Zacharias was doubting when he said, I don't see how this can happen. And Mary was just like, I don't understand. How can this happen? I've never been with a man. How can I be with child? 
I think she just didn't understand when she asked. And therefore, it was not considered unbelief for her. Now, the second day, in this second visitation, Gabriel appeared to Mary. He was announcing the conception and the birth of Jesus. And I don't know that she could really understand what would be required of her. We're probably talking about a young girl, 15, 16 years old here. I don't think she could understand what requirements would be made of her, what her life would be like, how everything would change for her when she conceived this child. But what was so wonderful about this young woman was that she was submissive to God. She was obedient to his will. You know, sometimes God comes to us and he asks us to do things. We may not understand why. We may not understand what outcome we will have. But if we're obedient to God, then we're doing what we need to do. But she was submissive, and she was obedient to God's will. And she said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your will. I've said that to the Lord before when he said things to me. I don't understand this, but let it be unto me according to your plan for my life. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to try to walk in that. So, we see that uh, the fulfilling of this prophecy was given by Gabriel to Daniel in chapter 9, saying the Messiah, or the anointed one, would come. We also see the fulfillment of scripture here in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So throughout the, narrative, throughout the narrative of Jesus' birth, we find God giving divine direction to Joseph in dreams. I want us to look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. It doesn't tell us what angel. I assume it was probably Gabriel. We don't know for sure. But the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. This name Jesus is the, great, the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew Yeshua. He shall save, which is the shorter form of Yahshua, which is Joshua. Um, it means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus was a common name in that day, but his name would stand out among all the others simply because he was the Son of God. Um, I call Josh Spillers a lot of times. I call him Yeshua. I say, hey, Yeshua. Uh, Joshua. 
And it means that he would be the savior of his people. So the annunciation of the angel was glorious and one long awaited for. One of good tidings and great joy to all people that our savior had come. So I would like for us to take a look at the visitation of the angel with the Levitical shepherds as they kept watch over their flock. Turn to Luke 2, 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, it shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was that when the angel had gone away from them into the heavens, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem. And let's see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made it widely known, the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And like Carrie said last week, these were not your ordinary shepherds. These were Levitical shepherds. They were responsible for the breeding and the care of the lambs that would be sacrificed in the temple. I don't think Jesus was laying in a manger or a stable like we've often thought. Um, he was... He was birthed in a fairly clean area where the little uh, ewes gave birth to the lambs. There weren't cattle. There weren't oxen. There were none of those things around. And when he was born, it was very, uh, very much a type and a shadow of his life. Because these little lambs that were born in this place, they were for sacrifice. And our Lord was born in that place because he was the sacrificial lamb that had come for us. What an awesome thought. You see, God never does anything that is just haphazard or by coincidence. Everything has a purpose. And the things that are in the spiritual realm parallel those things that are in the physical realm and the other way around as well. So everything that we see leading up to the birth of Jesus, the, even the place where he was born, is showing that he was a type. That was a type and a shadow of the Messiah that would be born there. So this annunciation of the, was a glorious one. 
And it was one that had been long awaited for. You see, these Levitical shepherds would know exactly what this angel was talking about. There would be no denying what, he was, what this angel was saying to them. And they realized that it would be a wondrous thing because they had been waiting a long time for someone to come to redeem them. A long time for someone to come and rescue them. But this was tidings of great joy that would be to all people, not just to the Jewish people, but our Savior had come. Not just a Savior, but the Savior of the whole world had come. In the fifth visitation, in Matthew 2, 13 through 15, again we see that an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, warning him to flee to Egypt with Mary and the child, because Herod was seeking Jesus to kill him. And I said to somebody the other day, what an evil man. And he said, the same kind of evil is in the world today. But it was just sort of shocking to me to hear that, I guess. But this angel came to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Joseph, you take Mary, you take the child, you flee into Egypt because Herod is going to try to kill this baby. And we see that's exactly what he tried to do. That's where the scripture talks about Rachel is crying out for her babies that are gone and they cannot be found. The sixth visitation was in Matthew 2, 19 through 22. And again, the angel comes to Joseph in a dream telling him to return to the land of Israel that Herod was dead. But because his son was now king, Joseph was warned in a dream not to return to Bethlehem, fulfilling instead fulfilling the prophecy of Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt I called my son. So what we find is that in every one of these scriptures that there are prophetical words that are being fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son, and instead they went into the region of Galilee and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, fulfilling the prophecy that, uh, that said, he shall be called a Nazarene. We know that throughout Christ's life and ministry, angels were involved. In Matthew 4.11, ministering angels came to Jesus after his temptation in the wilderness. He was baptized, and then the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was 40 days without food. He was weak. His body was tired. I'm sure he was dirty. He had been in the wilderness for 40 days. When the angel of the Lord came to him, Satan had come, Satan had tempted him, and when he went away, when he left for him for a season, the angels came and they ministered to Jesus. Have you ever wondered how they ministered to him? Have you ever thought about that? I thought about that a lot. I wondered, did they wash his face and his hands? Did they bathe his feet? Did they bring him a fresh, cool drink of water? Maybe even from the river of life. Who knows? Did they feed him with heavenly manna to strengthen him? We don't have the answer to questions like that. We just ponder those things. But we know that they came and they ministered to him. 
and his strength was renewed, and he was ready to go forth into his ministry. So we see that angels are with Jesus all the way through his life. They were in Gethsemane. An angel was sent to him in Gethsemane at one of his most desperate hours. And they strengthened him as he prayed. There were angels at his birth, there were angels at his death. There were angels at his resurrection, and as we said earlier, there were angels at his ascension. Angels will be with him at his second coming as well. So I'm going to transition a little bit from angels now into the other topics that go with this candle. I think it's really impossible for us to think about Christmas and the birth of our Savior without thinking about God's love for us and the peace that comes from knowing Him. Peace is mental calm, it's serenity. We say, peace of mind. Something that all of us want and long for, but few people really ever have that deep, settled peace. That's because people are looking for that peace in all the wrong places and all the wrong things. They think they could find their peace if only they could have the right mate, the right friends, lots of money, get that job that pays just a little more. The list goes on and on. But there's only one source of peace. And the only one who can give that peace is God himself. So the source, of course, is God. And he is the only one who can give us that deep, settled in our soul peace. John 14, 27 in the New Living Version says, I am leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. Many people, especially in the world today, are very troubled and they're afraid. They're troubled about things, and they have no peace. Fear overwhelms them. Now, I, I don't think I have ever seen fear in this world like I did till COVID came. And it was like people were just in a state of fear all the time. Such fear, such anxiety. I still know people struggling with the anxiety of having had COVID. I know of people that they won't leave their house. They're terrified they might get COVID. Um, and that to me is so sad when we know God and he is our source of peace. He's our source of hope. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Have any of you ever said shalom to somebody? Yeah, okay. Well, I did that a lot too. I used to go around saying shalom. Go in peace. Let your mind be at peace. Let's talk a little bit about that word shalom. The word shalom contains the idea of completeness. It is the sum of the blessings of God that he can bestow. It is his healing. It is his prosperity. It is soundness of mind. It is well-being. 
It is good relationships. It is perfection. It is what happens when God shines his face on you, when he turns toward you in all of his greatness, and he brings you good. He is the perfect peace. The Bible says if we keep our mind on him, we will walk in perfect peace. But in another place it says that fear has torment. But perfect love casts out all fear. So if we're walking in Christ, if we're walking in his love, then we have the source of peace. And we don't have to walk in fear. When Terry and I had COVID <clears throat> two years ago, last August, we were both very sick. Although he was sicker than I was, he had double pneumonia. Terry was very sick. And he was in the living room, and he couldn't lay back to sleep, not even recline the chair. He had to sit up and lean forward on a pillow to try to sleep. And he did that for, what, 10 days? About 10 days. And I was in the other room, and I would try to sleep, and I would hear him struggling in the other room. And every night I'd lay down and think, oh, Lord, please don't let me have to get up and take him to the hospital. You know, I don't want to be separated from him while he's sick. And um, I was laying there that night, and I'd finally fallen asleep when something entered the bedroom. And it wasn't my husband. But it came with a whoosh sound. And immediately, the enemy began to speak. And he said, I've come to kill, steal, and destroy. I'm going to kill your husband. I'm going to destroy your health. I'm going to take everything from you. But you know, it, it, he will come when you're at your very weakest. When you're emotionally weak, when you're mentally weak, when you're physically weak, that's when the enemy will attack your mind. But something inside, that sweet spirit of God rose up. And I said, you're a liar. And you have trespassed onto holy ground. And God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of love and peace and a sound mind. Now you go in the name of Jesus. And when I said that, the same noise when I heard when it came, I heard when it left. Whoosh, and it was gone. We have got to stand in boldness. We have got to know the word of God and speak it forth. When the enemy comes against our mind with fear, we must speak against him. We must come to him the way Jesus fought Satan is the way we fight him, by the word of God. So we want to walk in this shalom peace. And the next time you speak shalom to someone, remember that it's, it's far more than just walking out with peace of mind. It's well-being for every part of the person. And that was a priestly thing when you spoke shalom. You were speaking that over someone's life. All the good things that had God had for them. Uh, when I was about, probably about 50, I went to my dad one day. And I said, Dad, you've never blessed me. Would you put your hands on me and bless me? And it's like it just kind of shocked him that I would ask him to do that. And about two months later, I went to their house one day, and my dad said, I want you to come back here in the bedroom with me a minute. I said, okay. So we got back there, and he said, I'm going to bless you. 
I don't know if you've been praying about it or reading up on it or what. But that day in the bedroom, he laid his hands on me and he spoke blessings over my life. The Jewish people do this all the time with their children. They speak blessings over their children. We need to be speaking blessings over our children, whether they're still little or if they're grown. We need to be speaking those blessings. So this peace, this mental calm, this serenity, peace of mind, is something that all people want, but the world has no idea where to get. Um, For me, the peace of God and the love of God, they go hand in hand. When I talk about God's peace and his love, and his joy, that seems like all the emotions we're supposed to experience right here at Christmas. The peace of God and the love of God go hand in hand, and I find great peace and joy in knowing my heavenly Father loves me. I had an earthly father who loved me, but as the old song says, ain't nobody can love me like Jesus. (laughs) His love is unconditional, and it transcends all other loves. He loves us when we're at our best. He loves us when we're at our worst. And nothing can separate us from his great love. We see several kinds of love in this Christmas story. We see the love that Mary had for God. She demonstrated her love through her submission to him and her obedience. We see Joseph's love for the Lord as well. He was also obedient to God's will. We see the husband, and the wife's love for one another. I believe Joseph loved Mary, and I think she greatly admired him. They had a job ahead of them that was like no other, and I just don't think they could have accomplished what they did without God's great love in them and their love for one another. Joseph loved this child that was coming into the world. He protected him, and he provided for him. And he was a teacher for him. That's how Jesus learned to be a carpenter. Joseph taught him. So he was a lot of things in the life of Jesus. But then we see Mary's love for her son. That of a mother for her child. Her love would require so much from her. She would watch as her precious baby boy grew into a man and suffered as he did. Her heart would be broken for the love of her child. Wasn't it Simeon in the temple when they dedicated him said, and your heart, Mary, will also be pierced. So this mother's love for her child. I have a son. I would not give my son's life for another person's life. I wouldn't. She was his Emma. And he was her son. I don't know how many of you have been watching The Chosen. If you haven't, you really should. (laughs) It's awesome. But that was the Jewish word for mother. She was his Ema. And he was her son. But he would also be her savior. As deep as her love for him was, we find one love that goes even deeper. That's the agape love. The highest form of love. The love of God for a man. In John 3.16 he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever that would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The last few years, actually it started before COVID, because Terry and I were on a cruise. I've been really pondering um, this word love and trying to understand the love of God. And that's just really difficult. I don't know if you've ever thought on that, but it's really difficult. So we were on this cruise, and um, it was an international cruise, and there were people from all over the world on this cruise ship. I'm telling you, it was, it was huge. But it seemed like everywhere we sat, whether it was to just talk to people or to eat or whatever, we were with pastors and missionaries and teachers that love the Lord, other Christians. So I had gone out onto the balcony of this big ship, and I was just standing there, and I was looking out, and all I could see was water and sky. There was no land. There was nothing but water and sky. And as I looked out there that day, that old hymn, The Love of God, began to roll over and over in my spirit. The last verse of that song says, If we with ink the oceans filled, and were the sky a parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could a scroll contain the whole, though spread from sky to sky. I think that's one of the greatest definitions of God's love that I've ever heard. The love of God. I can't wrap my mind around it. I guess if we could understand all the things about God, he wouldn't be God. If we could understand him and everything he does and why he loves us the way he does, it would take away from his Godship. But he so loved that he gave. He gave not only a gift, but he gave the best gift, his sacrificial gift. He gave the precious lamb. The jewel of heaven was given for us. He is so precious and so good. I was reading um, one of the, uh, let's see, let me see if I could, Spurgeon, I think it was. I was reading one of his old messages on the love of God. And he was talking about... Um, In order for there to be a gift, you have to have three things. You have to have a giver, you have to have a gift, and you have to have someone to receive the gift. Because if it's not given away, it's not a gift. So God is the giver, his son is the gift, and the receiver is whosoever will. That takes in a lot of people. takes in a lot. It takes in the whole world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he was slain from the foundations of the world. He was the prince that would come to bring us peace. He left heaven to fulfill the will of the Father. 
And this, this came to me when, when I was reading a while back, when I was reading this scripture, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. The volume of the book, the law and the prophets. Every type, every shadow, every promise, every covenant, every prophetic utterance was fulfilled in him. And in my mind, that's just awesome. See, that's all they had in that day. They had the law and the prophets. And he said, there's nothing that was mentioned there that I didn't fulfill. He is truly God's unspeakable gift. Pastor preached on that a few Sundays ago. 2 Corinthians 9.15. There are no words. There are no words. His actions proved his great love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So... This God that we serve, he's a God of love, a God of strength, a God of mercy, a God of peace. The man that wrote this song, The Love of God, I don't know if, if you've ever heard this story about that song, but this man, um, he had come here when he was like, let me see, if, Frederick M. Leham. He came here at four years old. He was born in Germany, and he was brought here by his parents when he was four. He was a very successful um, businessman, but he was also a very accomplished musician and songwriter. And his business had prospered, and he, he, did, he did really well. But something came along that took everything he had away. And this man, he found himself out in the fields in California. He was picking and crating fruit. And he had fallen a long way from where he had been. But one night, he decided he would visit a revival in his community that was going on. And the, the uh, evangelist was preaching on the love of God. So this sermon so haunted this man he couldn't even sleep at night. It literally haunted him. And he realized that God was saying, I want you to write a hymn about the love of God. Well, he was writing down words on little pieces of paper and pieces of broken crates. And finally, he got together two verses in the chorus. But that did not make a hymn. Hymns have to have three verses. So... The third verse of this song, the poem that he used, was the verse that I was telling you a minute ago. That poem, he remembered this poem, and it had been written on the wall of an asylum or a prison. I'm not sure which it was. But the person who had been in that cell for a very long time had written that verse or that poem. 
if we would think the oceans fill and were the sky of parchment made. He had written that out on his cell wall. Some people say it could be an old, from old Jewish writings. No one knows for sure where that poem came from, and there's no known author. But it fit perfectly with his song, and it made that song a great old hymn of the church. But it just gives such great definition to who God is and to what his love is like. Um, so, do you know that song? Do you know that song? <laughs> okay. If we with think the oceans fill and were the sky a parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry nor could a scroll contain the hope though spread from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Isn't that a beautiful song? So like the sea, the love of God is so vast. It's so multifaceted. It's so deep. It's so immeasurable. I don't think I will ever understand it. But what I'm sure of is that God's greatest expression of his love came 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. He was fulfilling the prophetic words that were found in Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Jewish custom, when a couple were betrothed, the groom would go to prepare a place or a home for him and his bride. It was usually an addition to his father's house. The groom's father would inspect, and he would let him know when he had done a good job, and he would tell his son when he could go to get his bride. When the father thought everything was ready, he would say, All right, son, groom, go get your bride. And then he would come and he would take her to live in his father's home. There would be great festivities and they would celebrate their marriage. So it is with us. John 14, 2 through 3. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself, 
that where I am, there you may be also. We don't know when Jesus will come. We can, we can see the seasons. We can know that the time seems close. For me, it seems very close. We don't know exactly when he'll return for his bride, but we are his bride. But the Father knows when he will send the Son. You see, Jesus went to prepare a place, and the Father knows when he will send the Son to retrieve his bride. He is our beloved, and we are his. So we look for this second advent, and we say, even so, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The first advent was anticipated with great joy. And so should the second advent be. I look for him. I rejoice that his coming is at hand. I've always thought I'd go in the rapture. Now, that may not be true. I've just always thought that. I know that the generation that Israel became a nation was uh, the generation of those that was born in 1948, like my husband here. My older brother, much older brother, uh, he was born in 1948. That's the year that Israel became a nation. And it says that that generation will not pass till the Lord returns. Well, we're getting old. I tell Terry, we're older than dirt. So I'm looking for Jesus I'm looking for his return. I expect him every day. Uh, I find myself even going out and looking toward the eastern sky at times. Is this the day, Lord, that you're going to come for me, for your body, for your church? But I think it's just a wonderful thing to know that he's preparing a place for us. And the Father will tell him when it is time to come and get his church. Now, before we close this evening... I want to read a blessing over you. Let's see if I can find that scripture. Numbers, the sixth chapter. And we sing this song a lot at church. But this is called the priestly blessing or the Aaronic blessing. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Well, good news. We're grafted in. So this is our blessing as well. So I speak this over you tonight for your holiday season. That God will, his face will shine upon you. That you'll know that deep love, that deep settled peace and joy that only God can give. That's what I desire most for Christmas. If I have the peace of God and the joy of his presence, I have everything I have to have for Christmas. A good massage would be nice too, honey. So, (laughs) but anyway, um, as we end... I'm going to send my husband out to the car. He's, he's going to be my runner tonight. Would you go get that for me? Uh, how many of you got your recipe for the cheese ball? Okay. So I brought one with me tonight. 
I'm going to put it out up here and some crackers, and you can come and taste the cheese ball. So if you like it, you might want to make some. They make really nice gifts. About half our neighborhood has cheese balls tonight. <laughs> I make a lot of them. I usually make about eight at a time, and we give several away to friends and family, like I said earlier, and our neighbors. And, and the neighbor next door, she, uh, her husband just turned 85, and she's like 80, maybe 81. She said, well, I never get any of it because the minute you bring it over here and leave it, George gets it out and eats the whole thing. So I said, okay. <laughs> but anyway, Terry's gone out to get that. And I would like for you to try it and see if you like it. And maybe you'll want to try this recipe. But God bless you tonight. Have a wonderful Christmas. Great word, great word. Just bring it on up here, buddy. Just bring it on. Don't even, don't even bypass. <laughs> The old song says, I'm looking for a city where we'll never die. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you ready? I, I, I'll, I'll do it. Looking for a city where we'll never die. There the sainted millions never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior and our loved ones too. Come, O oh Holy Spirit, all our hopes renew. Sherry, you're supposed to jump in. Linda, I don't know what's wrong with you two hiding back there tonight. <laughs> I've enjoyed so much these last Wednesday nights and going through the Advent series together. Um, I really appreciate uh, Dr. Mosier uh, putting all this together. And um, we will have service on Sunday morning starting at, 10, at 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock. There'll be no Sunday school. And um, we'll have a candle uh, service. And uh, Miss, Miss Can Candice Bowling, Candy Bowling, will be uh, sharing. And it'll be a great time. Love to, love to have all you guys come out and just have a wonderful time. Uh, we'll, we will... We will start on time, and we will end on time. <laughs> Lord willing, we'll try. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it'll be great. And so if you are in town and would love to come out, I'd love to have you guys here Sunday. If, if by chance, you are rolling out of town and are unable to be here, uh, Merry Christmas. And hope you guys have a wonderful time. Um, it was, just to say, we got rid of all of the Christmas trees for Buy Tree Change of Life. Yeah, yeah. We had just a, just a few at the end, and uh, so I told I told Aaron, I said, guys, you know, uh, life's getting busier, and so we loaded, they loaded up several trees. I think there was like eight trees left, and so they loaded up those trees and went to a few neighborhoods that, you know, would definitely be in need, and I was able to give out Christmas trees, and they said, Pastor, that was that was the highlight of the whole time, and so it was such a blessing to be able to uh, not only raise funds for missions locally and globally, but also to be able to just love on some people, so thank you for all you guys who've been able to jump, be a part of that, and for donating towards it, it's been good. Anyway, love yins, as my, my family will say, love yins. 
Hope you have a good Christmas, and Lord willing, we'll see you, if not Sunday, the following Sunday on New Year's. All right. God bless.